0: We've been talking about the Holy Spirit, and I've just, I, I just said it um, that I was going to preach for six weeks straight on the Holy Spirit um, right before we get to the Easter season. Um, and, um, and for six weeks, that's not going to be enough. Um, the, the Holy Spirit is just way too vast um, a subject and, and a gift that God has given us that we can find out in his word. It's just way too big for six weeks. But um, because the spirit is unlike, he's, he's holy. And holy means different, separate. He's spirit, which means he's not material. Uh, it's, it's, he's unlike most of anything that any of us have experienced in the material world. And so he kind of gets missed out on as we study our scriptures and what preachers preach about. So I'm delighted to give six weeks devoted to the Holy Spirit. Let me remind you... Um, we we focused in on the fact that that God sends His Spirit into our hearts. Jesus says, "I'm going to send you a Helper, the Helper, which is the Holy Spirit, which will be in you forever." That's very important. And He says, "Will be in you." All right. Um, we talked about what is the Holy Spirit doing inside our hearts. If if, if it says in First Corinthians, God has sent us His Spirit into our hearts. Why? What's the purpose? What's the purpose of changing us from the inside out? You. The attempts to change us from the outside in just don't work, don't go very far, and don't last long. But inside-out transformation, that's completely different. And God puts His Spirit into us for that purpose. Um, last week, we talked about this great, this really fascinating verse in Ephesians. Ephesians 5.8, that says, uh, Do not get drunk with wine, which is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And that command to be filled with the Spirit is commanding you to do something that you can't do for yourself. And so how do you respond to that? what What we learned is that what you do is you put yourself, you intentionally put yourself in position so that God can fill you up. Your spiritual tank will go empty. The Holy Spirit's in you forever, which is true, but you've got this spiritual tank that he must fill up and you've got to put yourself in position for him to fill it up. Otherwise, your spiritual tank goes empty. Today, I want to show you a verse that I think connects very well with this idea of being filled with the Spirit and really just kind of understand what this means and what this looks like. So if you have your Bibles with you, turn to the book of Acts, chapter 1. And these are the last words that Jesus speaks to his disciples before he ascends into heaven. Acts 1, starting in verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when this Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Let me tell you what's going on here. Jesus is about to go back up to heaven. He, these, these disciples that he's speaking to, They've walked with Jesus for three years. They've they've watched him do miracles. They they heard him teach, and they were convinced, and rightfully so, that Jesus was the Messiah sent by God to save. Then they watched him get arrested. They they watched him be put on trial. And then he was executed, all in the span of a few hours. And in, in that tiny amount of time, their entire world was destroyed. All their hopes, every expectation that they had, it was shattered. They were, these men were stunned and frightened. They're like, what, what can all this mean? I mean, we were certain that Jesus was God's Messiah set to save us. Then three days later, Jesus followed through with a promise that he made that frankly none of them thought was possible. Jesus promised that he was going to be killed, but that he would come back to life, to be resurrected. So Jesus comes back from the dead. He was resurrected. And all of a sudden, the hope returns to these men. Their expectations were, were reset. Now, as Jesus speaks this, Jesus had just spent 40 days with these guys. He's continued to teach them. And he's preparing them now for the fact that he's about to return to heaven. And these disciples, they're not happy about that. I mean, what about all their hopes? What about all their expectations of the Messiah? I mean, we, we know you're the one, Jesus, so, so, so when are you going to set in motion the restoration of Israel? Because that's what we expect the Messiah to do. Jesus, when are you going to run the Romans out? When are you going to restore the nation of Israel back to prominence? Jesus basically says that the answer to that question is not information that they're meant to have. He's like, besides, besides, you still don't get it. This was never about saving one nation from another nation. This was always about something much, much bigger. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is much bigger than the greatest empire that's ever existed on the face of the earth. That's that's the greatest thing you've ever seen up until now. This is much bigger than Rome. This is much bigger than restoring the kingdom of Israel. This is about restoring the kingdom of God in the hearts of people all over the entire world world. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will see power and you will be my witnesses. I kind of wonder, like, if we were to have this kind of conversation with Jesus now, with our, all our expectations, and as, our, as our world shrinks down to even just the United States, oh, Jesus, when are you going to fix things here? I kind of wonder if his answer would be similar to this. You know what? That's really not for you to know. You really need to be more concerned about your Jerusalem, your Judea, then your Samaria, then the ends of the earth. Like we get all worked up about these global things. Oh my goodness, what's going to fix this problem across the globe? What's going to fix this problem across this globe? And Jesus is like, hey, what about that problem right here? You're, you're, you're worried about that, but you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Let's start right here in your heart. And then we'll let that power emanate outward. You know, in the Gospel of John, Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as the helper. Now Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as the power source. The Holy Spirit is the power source for a changed heart. The Holy Spirit is the power source for living a life that honors God. The Holy Spirit is the power source for serving God and being a witness here where you live and to the ends of the earth. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. Now, the Greek word for power is dunamis. We get our word dynamite, dynamic, dynamo, Uh, from this word. These are all English words that come from the Greek word for power, dunamis. And because God has sent the Holy Spirit into the hearts of his children, when you are saved, you are given a source of tremendous power. A lot of times we look at the things that God sets before us and we think, there's no way I can do that. Uh, There's no way I can give up that addiction. There's there's no way I could forgive that person. There's, there's no way that I could serve others. There's, there's no way I can overcome my fear and share my faith with another person. There's no way that I can truly live the Christian life. I mean, if you've got thoughts like that, you're right. On your own, there is no way that you can do any of those things. None of us can do those things. None of us can even live out the Ten Commandments. I mean, if we really take the Ten Commandments seriously, Think about them seriously. None of us live those out. But God never asks you to do something in which God will not provide the resources needed to accomplish the task. So God sends His Holy Spirit into our hearts to provide the power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. God will give you the strength to overcome that addiction. God will give you the strength to break off that unhealthy relationship. God will give you the strength to love the person that hates you. God will give you the strength to make a difference in this world, starting with where you live and moving out toward the ends of the earth. That's the promise. Jesus says, stop worrying about all these things. And trust me, I'm going to give you the dunamis. That's what he says. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. Now, for these disciples, the Holy Spirit hasn't come yet. Um, that, that's something they were about to receive. They were going to receive it soon. Um, but, but, that's, but for you and I, that's different. When, when you get saved, you receive as much Holy Spirit as you're ever going to receive. You, you get all of them. The Holy Spirit is, something, is not something that you parcel out like a chocolate cake. Here's a little bit. Here's a little bit. Would you like another piece? Like, that, that, that's like when Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will be with you forever and will be in you, you get all of the Holy Spirit. And, and what happens to us is when we finally, for in one moment, allow the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit does, it feels so different that we think we've got something new, that, that this is something new. I didn't have that before. The truth is, it was always there to begin with. It's just for this moment, you allowed the Holy Spirit to work. And we're going to talk more about uh, why that happens. Um, but, but, but the Holy Spirit is in you forever. And I do know, like, there's a lot of folks that like, they try to section it out The Holy Spirit comes when you're saved. The Holy Spirit comes in your power and this, that, and the other. And it's, we're letting our experience define truth. Um, And you really need to let God's Word define truth for you. I I mean, like, my wife uh, had a stomach ache several years ago. Turned out it was her appendix, you know, but... I've experienced tummy aches. She could have been sitting there with an appendix about to rupture, and I'm like, I've had that experience before. I've had an experience you can't see that's on the inside of you before. Honey, you just need to pass gas, and you'll be just fine. Look, I I, I say that in jest, but look, you don't let other people's experience define truth. You let God's Word define truth, all right? And what Jesus says is that the Holy Spirit will be in you and will be with you forever. The scripture also says you need to be filled with the Spirit. It's, it's the same thing. So let's think about how those work together, not go look at, well, what have I experienced that I can uh, try to make sense of that. Um, so when you are saved, you get all of the Holy Spirit you get him at the same time that you get Jesus because the Holy Spirit and Jesus and the Father are all one. Those original disciples had not yet received the Holy Spirit, but they were about to. And look at the result. Acts eight. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria until to the end of the earth. You'll be my witnesses. The power, the dunamis results in you becoming effective in representing Jesus in a lost and broken world. Like we want it to make us some sort of supernatural ability to do what we want to do, but the result of the Spirit is you'll be a witness for Jesus. It's for Him. It's for His kingdom. you, You need to know this. You need to know that your, your witness in this world is not the words you say. Your witness is who you are. Look, two different people can say the exact same thing, can speak the truth, but when one person says it, it's not true because their life invalidates what they say. Even if what they're saying is true, they will be an ineffective witness because what they, what they say and how they live, they're not in alignment it makes you like the boy who cried wolf. That they speak truth, but it's not true when they say it because of the witness of their life. The other person can say the exact same thing, and it is true because people can see it in the witness of their life. They can see that, this, that you're genuine, that, that you're real, that, that there's no spin coming out of you, that there's no lies, there's no blaming, there's no, you're not rationalizing things, you're not making excuses, you're not perfect. Uh, but you're real and you're growing and your witness is much, it's always much more than what you say, it's who you are. Most people read the book of Acts and they want the spirit to cause their words to be powerful and impact the masses without realizing that God's plan begins in your heart transforming who you are. He says, you'll be my witness first in Jerusalem. That's your own life. Then in Judea, that's your home Samaria, your circle of influence, and to the ends of the earth, people that you don't even know. Most people are not interested in having an effective witness in their own Jerusalem. They want to fast-track God's process to get to the ends of the earth without establishing a foundation of witness from within their own heart. Look at this. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3 with me. I'm going to start in verse 14. It says, if the work that anyone is built on, the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? What's he saying here to us? I mean, in verse 16, he is reaffirming that when you get saved, you're given the Holy Spirit. He, He now lives in you, which makes you a temple. Verse 14 says that if you grow through the process of establishing a foundation, then you will get the reward of having an effective witness and experience the dunamis, the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 15 tells us that a lot of people will live lives that amount to nothing eternal. No witness, no power, nothing that will last. Will they be saved? Absolutely. God keeps his promises You will be saved, but only as through fire. And when it's all done, the sum total of your life will be burned up. All of God's children get the Holy Spirit. Every single one has access to the dunamis. Because because of the Spirit, every child of God becomes a temple. The Spirit takes our lives kind of like an old beat-up Chevy truck and turns it into a high-powered racing machine. That's a picture of the 2020 Corvette. No, you didn't come to church to be tempted. But if you've got a Corvette and you never put fuel in the tank, do you know what you have? You've, you have yourself an $80,000 two-ton paperweight is what you've got. The Bible tells us that the Spirit lives in you, but it also says in Ephesians 5, 8 that you need to put fuel in the tank. Be filled with the Spirit. Tanks get empty. You have to keep putting fuel in. Last week we learned you can't fill up yourself. God's got to do that. So what you do is you put yourself in position for God to fill you. That's why church is important. That's why reading and memorizing Scripture is important. That's, that's why prayer is important. That's why service is important. All these things they connect you with the source, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's the source. He provides the power. The Holy Spirit also indwells in you, which makes you God's temple. And I want you to notice the verse. Go back to that verse in, in uh 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I want you to notice, he says, Do you not know that you are God's temple? Notice that the verse gives ownership to this temple. It gives ownership to God. The temple belongs to God. And that's of the utmost importance if you want to experience the Holy Spirit in your life. If you're serious about experiencing the Holy Spirit, the dunamis in your life, then then you're going to have to learn to give up something that every single one of us naturally wants to hold on to. And that is your propensity to control. We want it to be ours, mine. Mine my way. Look at Luke 9, 23. It's something Jesus teaches. Jesus says in Luke 9, 23, and he said to all, if anyone would come after him, after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Look, if you're serious about experiencing the power of the Spirit in your life, if you're serious about having a life where your life's work is not burned up at the end, if you're serious about being a witness first in your Jerusalem, then in your Judea, and on to the ends of the earth, then you're going to have to give up that natural tendency to seek control. Jesus teaches us that we must take up the cross. When Jesus said this, the cross was was not a symbol of hope. It it, it was not a symbol of sacrifice. No, the, the cross was something you died on. Like we look at it now like the cross can be a symbol of, of a burden you carry. But for, for back then, that was a symbol of, of death. You and I, we think of the cross as a symbol because we live after the resurrection. So we, we put crosses on gold chains. We put, we put crosses on hospitals. We put crosses on tattoos. We put crosses in cemeteries. We put crosses on churches. For us, the cross, we experience it post-Easter. It's the symbol of Christian faith. But when Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, he spoke these words pre-Easter. If you want to understand an ancient document, and that's what we have here in the Word of God, you've got to read it in the context in which it was written, when it was spoken. So when Jesus said this, uh, those disciples, they didn't think, well, he's being symbolic. For them, the cross was the method of execution for non-Roman citizens. It was the electric chair of the day, It was the guillotine. It was the hangman's noose. So when they heard this, they didn't think, oh, I have to be willing to endure hardship. They heard Jesus say that in order to follow him, they must die. But not just die, they must die daily. But put up that verse again for us. There we go. Take up your cross. Daily, must die daily. When they heard this, that must have got them thinking, And what does he mean, take up your cross daily? See, we all need to understand that this is not just a one-time decision. A lot of people treat faith like it's a one-time decision. Um, in order to experience the power of the Holy Spirit, the dunamis, that is a daily decision. See, the reality of life is, is you will have different things come against you as you mature and change. Now, I'm sure you recognize that the things you struggled with as a child were not the same things you struggled with as a teenager, were they? And what you struggled with as a teenager, there's, those are not the same things that you struggled with in your mid-20s and mid-30s. If, if what you struggle with now is the same as you struggled with in your teenage years, what that probably is an indication is that somewhere along the way, um, your personal growth got stunted. And this happens a lot of times in people's lives when, um, when alcohol or drugs get introduced into a person's life, it'll stunt a person's growth or um, a uh, traumatic event or an abuse happens that will stop a person's growth and i'm 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 very grateful we've got a ministry here at the church called celebrate recovery that is devoted to helping people get past those points where you just get stuck in life but you're not meant to get stuck you're meant to continue to grow and if and if you can recognize that that if that what you struggle with has changed over time as you've aged and mature then uh then it stands to reason that, that what you will struggle with when, will be different when you're 50 and when you're 60. And that's absolutely fine, and, and, and as it should be. But what that means is that you can't take faith and make it a one-time decision. It's got to be a daily decision. You see, when you were younger, what, what tempted you was probably attached to your, uh, um, your, your physical appetites. But as you age, it changed, and things like greed and competition become more prominent in your life. When you were younger, what you worried about was different than when you, when you get older. I mean, look, look, right now on Sunday nights, we're doing the uh, Financial Peace University to help people with fi- financial uh, decisions and money management. And I can tell you, as I'm sitting there going through this course again, my ears are way more attentive to things when it starts talking about retirement and saving for my kids' college because at age 45, going on 46, I'm much closer than that. And I wish that I would have cared about those things when I was in my 20s. Because I would have prepared differently. And I look around when we're going through the class. And my young adults, like, you could tell. It's like their interest levels different because you're far enough. I brought my son to the course because I wanted him to get some of this stuff. He's just like, Dad, going over the head. I'm not there. Like, how do I save when I don't have an income, you know? What, what you worry about changes as you grow and as you mature. What you fear changes. I, I saw this recently and I think it makes a valuable point. Look, don't, don't provoke elderly people because they're just not afraid of a, of a life sentence or a death penalty like, like a young person might be. Oh, y'all need to laugh a lot more at that. That's just way funny. Yeah, yeah. You're like, you're worried for your life is what happened, I think. All right. See, what you fear changes. And the devil knows that what tempts you, what you worry about, what you fear, that they're supposed to morph and change as you age and grow. And so, so he changes his tactics on you over the course of time. That's why you must learn to take up your cross daily. I mean, it's great that you gave Jesus your soul to save many years ago, the most important decision you've ever made, but if you want the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, the dunamis, you need that today and you cannot rest on a one-time decision years ago, you must decide to give up control today. You want to have the power of the Holy Spirit for change, for witness to overcome, then you must recognize today that each and every day that that, that the temple, that your life, it belongs to God. It's not yours to control. It's not yours to own. It's His. Your life, your body, your present, your future, They all belong to God. Stop trying to control your relationships. Stop trying to control your situation. Stop trying to control your direction. Take up your cross every day. And now look what Jesus says He says, Follow me. Where is the source of power? Go ahead, put up that verse. We're ready for that. He says, Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. That's the source. That's that's the power source. The power is in letting go of control and following him, to follow in total trust and abandonment. And he goes on to say that whoever will save his life is going to lose it, but whoever loses his life for his sake will save it. If you seek to control, to own, to save your own life, you lose. But if you lose your life for Jesus, you end up saving your life. See, verse 25, he asks the question. He says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits himself? You can lose your whole self in an attempt to gain more. Even if you succeed at gaining the whole world, you, in the end, you still lose. So here's the deal. Number one, you've got to recognize that the Holy Spirit is the source. He's where the power for personal change, for transformation, and for witness comes from. Number two, you've got to recognize that the Holy Spirit lives in you, that the power is already there. You already have all of the Spirit. You don't need more Holy Spirit. You just need to release what's already within you. And number three, you've got to learn to let go. On a daily basis, let go of your propensity to control your life to control your relationships, to control your circumstance. Now, Maybe you're sitting there saying, okay, I get it. I understand. God's given me everything that I need for change, for impact, for overcoming. I need to give up control and trust. So what does that look like? Well, let's go to the end of chapter 9 here in the book of Luke. Starting in verse 57. It says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So here comes this guy. He says, I'll follow you. I'll take up my cross and follow. And Jesus says, okay, if you're serious about that, then you need to know that foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What, what has he just said here? He says that if you're serious about living a life of trust and abandonment, then you need to give up your desire to control material things around you. You've got to let go of material things. You want to know why most of us don't have the dunamis in our life? It's because we tend to own our stuff. And as a result, the material things, they end up controlling and owning us. I mean, mean, look, we live in a place where everything is on sale all the time. I mean, back when I lived in a small town, the temptation to buy was much less. I would go to the store, I'd see something I would liked and wanted check it out, and I'd put it back. Because I'm going to wait for it to go on sale. Go home and wait, come back later on, look at it. Like, I still want it, still looks good, but it's not on sale yet. So i go back home and wait. Let that time go on. You're able to do life a little slower because life in the small town just forces you to. And then one day somebody calls up and says, hey, remember that thing you've been looking forward to, you've been saving for? It's on sale and they only got three left. You rush to the store, you pay cash for it, got a good deal, got what I want, got a good deal, it's all great. The problem with living here is we got so much stuff around us that everything is on sale all of the time. And you've got to, you you don't have to wait. In fact, you've got to navigate the pressure that what you want may be gone if you don't act right now. So what happens for most people is that their lives, we look at other people and their lives look so abundant, filled with new stuff. But if you're able to look past the surface, you'll see that most people are in debt up to their eyeballs and they live one paycheck away from disaster. And living here, when what we see on the surface, it looks like everybody's got a full and abundant lives, filled with new stuff. Um, well, that puts pressure on you to keep up with the Joneses. And nobody can rise above this here. Look, I don't care how nice of a car you have. Somebody's got a nicer car around here. I don't care how nice of a house you got. Somebody in this area's got a nicer house. And material things rob us of the dunamis, of the power. I mean, look, think about it. God tries to lead you and say, hey, we need to do this and go do this. And you say, yes, God, I I want you to use me. I'm 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 available for you, but first I need to pay off my debt. God, you can count on me. As soon as I pay off this car, see, you want the dunamis, you want impact, you want God to use this, use you. But 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 you, but if in order for that to happen, you can't be a person who seeks to control material things, because in the end, those material things end up controlling you. Recognize that material things are just stuff don't own it. Use it. Recognize that it all belongs to God. Look what else happens in this passage. Verse 59, to another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. This seems like such a harsh thing for Jesus to say. I mean, somebody just walked up and says, I'll follow you. He says, but I'm gonna. need to bury my father. We read it as though it's like his dad's over there and on the ditch, and he just died, and he's like, I got to take care of this. And so Jesus, like, nope, you ain't got time for that. Listen, that's not the situation. You need to understand what was going on back then. Back then, there was tremendous pressure to honor your father and mother. I mean, when your father passed, you were expected to honor them with this lengthy time of mourning, and how big and how elaborate you honored your 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 parents determined how your community perceived you. The pressure was very real because those towns, they were all small towns, like maybe a couple thousand people. It's the kind of place where everybody knows everybody and everybody knows everybody's business. And, 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 And you were judged by the extent of honor you gave to your parents at the time of their death. Back then, they had what were called professional whalers. These are people who their job was to go to funerals and cry. And they got paid for it. And, and it, when your parents passed away, you would hire professional whalers from Jerusalem to come to your little town and cry for a week or two or three. And people would look at them and say, my goodness, look at how much they honored their father. They got the best whalers out of Jerusalem. Who and They came over here and they cried for three weeks. Look at all that honor. But look at that guy over there. He got two, he got two, two whalers from Prosper, and, and they can hardly carry a tune. When this guy tells Jesus, first let me go bury my father, he's saying, I will follow you, but first let me secure my standing in my community because I'm very concerned about how I'm perceived and concerned about what people think of me. If you want to be the kind of person that releases the power of the Holy Spirit that's in you, then you've got to give up trying to control what other people think of you. A lot of us stifle the work of the Holy Spirit, especially when it comes to being a witness, because we get stuck worrying about what people will think. And so we end up saying nothing. You cannot be owned by a need to be validated by others. It'll rob you of the Spirit's power in your life. It'll rob you of even being a leader because you're so consumed with protecting you and your uh, perception of people of, or that, that people have of you that you can't, you can't empower others and that's what leadership's all about verse 61 yet another said I will follow you Lord but first let me say farewell to those at my home Jesus said to him no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God this is probably the most difficult of all to give up control in because it, it connects to your family This guy runs up and says, Jesus, I'll follow you, but first let me take care of my family obligations. Jesus is not saying that it's wrong to have meaningful family connections and values, but the danger to living a life of abandon is the pressure that comes from those who are the closest to you. And so it's like, yes, you can go serve God, but first come give your mama a hug. You go serve God, but just so long as it's kind of close by. I don't want you moving too far away. It, it's 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 limiting and they're the people that are the closest to you. Look, when I first heard God calling me into vocational ministry, I told my dad. I said, "God, dad, I think this is what I'm going to do with my life. I think God's calling me to do this with my life." You know what my dad said? His first response. He loved me. He said, "There's no money in that, Bob. You can't go serve God. You can't have a good life financially if you do that." I said, "God, dad, I'm not doing it for money." But that's the real pressure. Probably the hardest area of life to live with abandonment to God is the area of family. I can't serve God. I've got to take care of my children. That pressure is very real. But if you want the full experience of dunamis, then even the most valuable and closest relationships in your life, they have to come second. So where are you today? Is the Spirit's work in your life foreign to you? What's preventing that? Is it your natural tendency to want to control? Do you own too much? I tell you, you don't have to go sell it all. All you've got to do is in your heart recognize who really owns it all belongs to God. You don't need to go downsize and get rid of stuff unless that's who, unless God says downsize. He might do that. Are you owning too much? Are you trying to control? Are you being controlled by what other people might think of you? Recognize that the source, the power, doesn't come from you. It comes from the spirit. The spirit's already in you. And you have to you have to give access to that every single day. You might be get filled with the spirit today. Tomorrow's a new day. You might have been filled with the spirit. Years ago, you went to a camp. Heard the gospel for four days straight and it was fantastic and you were so filled with the Spirit. That was that was years ago. You need power tomorrow. That's how you get it. So Father God, I just pray now in these moments that we could connect with You the way You've designed it. And God, we live in a world that's so broken and um, dysfunctional and it's so easy for us to get caught up in it there's so many voices out there that truthfully god sometimes it's hard to filter through it all and hear you but thank you that you gave us your word and your word does not change and so god i pray that your people can and begin to live with and experience and recognize the power that you've already put within them, the power to overcome their problems, their addictions, their, their struggles, the, the power to, to change them from the inside out, to, to, to have impact in their own Jerusalem, in their own life, to have impact in their own family. God, how many times have I seen people heartbroken because they just couldn't have impact in their own family? But you've given it. Let's not fast track and skip over important things. So, Father, I just pray that you speak to the hearts of your people. Awaken them to what they're trying to own and control and what is owning and controlling them right now. And, Father, if there be one here today who has not given their life over to your Son Jesus, They're here today and they need the Spirit for the first time. They need to be saved. Speak to them the way you spoke to my heart years ago. Awaken them to that greatest need. Change their life now and change their forever. And for those of us, convict us, show us, that we might repent, be restored, and walk with you afresh today. Father, you are so good to us. You've given us more than we could ever merit on our own. Have every single bit of us. And I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.